Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me today is... Mark. Jason. Matt. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back, digitally. And today is our episode that we are doing in, well, I guess three separate households at this point because of coronavirus. Uh, Today we are talking about the 1998 smash hit film dark city was it a smash hit um, colin oh it was a smash hit but before was it we a hit that, of I'm the smashing variety the news. um so i do have only one news story for you today actually um very very boring time in sci-fi but uh this was just announced um It's going to be showing up on Amazon from Greg Daniels, who made The Office and Parks and Recreation, comes Upload, a new sci-fi comedy in the near future. People who are near death can be uploaded into the virtual reality environments. Cash-strapped Nora works customer service for the luxurious Lakeview Digital Afterlife. When party boy slash coder Nathan's car crashes, his girlfriend uploads him into Nora's VR world. All 10 episodes will upload... Of upload will be streamed on Amazon Prime Video on May first, twenty twenty. Yep, that's literally all I have for you. Is... That's good news, Colin. Thank you for that. Yeah, yes, that that does. Given given the fact hell. that it's literally the end of the world right now, I feel like any news is good news. Yeah, <laughs> all the other news is cancellations and movies getting kicked back, and mm-hmm. uh, the series lead is Robbie Amell, who is the uh, cousin of Stephen Amell. Uh, the famed actor from uh, CW's Arrow. Nice. Yeah, so anyways, <laughs> I'm going to go back to Dark City now. Uh, written and directed by Alex Proyas to the budget of $27 million. Which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about um, it. We're going to talk about it. We'll dissect actually, that. Uh, we'll tell you what we think the- about it. <laughs> Yeah, the box office was twenty-seven point two million dollars. Hey, <laughs> got some profit. Yeah. yeah, no, that's not profit. They probably lost a ton of money on that. Because <laughs> that's just the budget for filming. You also have to oh, factor in everything for like marketing and all that. Um, so, anyways, the movie is starring Rufus. Uh, was it Sewell? Sewell. Sewell. Whatever. Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, Richard O'Brien, Ian Richardson, and William Hurt. Peter O'Toole. Andrew, since since this is your movie, I'm going to let you do the synopsis. John Murdoch awakens alone in a strange hotel to find that he is wanted for a series of brutal murders. The problem is that he can't remember whether he committed the murders or not. For one brief moment, he is convinced that he has gone completely mad. Murdoch seeks to unravel the twisted riddle of his identity. As he edges closer to solving the mystery, he stumbles upon a fiendish underworld controlled by a group of ominous beings, collectively known as the Strangers. Or as Matt likes to call them. Oh, space vampires. They kind of are, yeah. Yes, a little space Nosferatu's. They're goth space vampires. This is a very Gotham looking movie. Wouldn't you say that a vampire is kind of goth by <laughs> just by existing? Or are goths vampires? <laughs> Colin, stop trying to pigeonhole vampires. They can be whatever they want. I suppose you are right. I met a Baroni vampire once. (laughs) (laughs) That's a band name. (laughs) (laughs) Baroni vampire. (laughs) All right. Stop it. Do you have his contact info? (laughs) (laughs) We need interviews. Let's go. uh, Send send his info my way so I can get a hold of him. Um, Andrew, I actually want to start with you. Yeah. Uh, This is another installment. I believe the... The fourth, fourth installment film? of uh, Miller installment March of Madness. Movies. Miller March Apocalyptic yeah. Madness. Currently, the only March Madness this is month has going gotten out. super mad. Yeah, um, it's the only March Madness that's going on right fellas, now. Fellas, it may be the last <laughs> March. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, so it's as true. I after this, we're going to start calling them Smarch. 
Smarch, what? Yeah. Smarch madness. Do not touch Willie. Um, so this is, uh, yeah, this is the fourth installment of, uh, Miller March Madness. I purposefully, um, I think I said last week, um, placed this movie in the schedule as close to my birthday as possible, because I think this is the number one movie that I was excited to cover. This was a, um, this was something that I saw, you know, like 20, 20 years ago at this point. And, uh, it stuck in my mind. It just stuck in my mind so much. Like this is a movie I go back to every once in a while. And I had been meaning to rewatch it because of how, uh, it was like, does this movie hold up? You know, you, you see a lot of movies when you're younger and it's a lot of it's nostalgia goggles. And I wanted to see if it still holds up. And I, you know, wanted to see, this is kind of a, a favorite sci-fi movie of mine. So I wanted to see what you guys thought of it as well. Um, yeah, I had no idea what I was walking into, honestly. In fact, I didn't even read the synopsis going into this movie. Um, I, I guess I could say I, I I, really didn't know what to expect. And when it started out, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Um, I did enjoy the sort of like noir aspect that was going on for most of the film. Yeah. Um, and I, over, overall, I will say that I, I did enjoy this movie. Um, I thought the acting was good. Uh, the writing, I, there was a lot that he wanted to tell, and I feel like he had a very short amount of time to do that. But um, overall, I thought it was a good movie. I would say I just want to add on to that. Um, I'd say you, you, so we're referring to it as noir. It, it feels like it's not a noir story, but it's a noir setting. If you know what I mean, like it feels like yeah. it's like uh, you know, it's an it's a movie about aliens stealing our bodies and making us perform this, you know, weird ritual so that they can figure out what a soul is, which was just the oddest thing ever. But, um, but yeah, no, no, it feels more like a, it feels more like a psychoactive movie. It feels like a, like, it feels like a alien film that took acid and just turned off the lights and it's like and then you add the noir aspect of it and it's like this really wild ride like super wild ride so i just want to point out that there was this weird thing i I couldn't figure out like it was a point where i didn't like the film for a lot of it and then i figured out that it was a i think an artistic choice or at least it served the story there was no detail in this world at all Mm, okay yeah, yeah. I kept saying, like, I, I, I want to focus on things, but they just keep, like, you know, brushing past it, glancing past it. The the camera never sits still on, like, one scene, unless it's, like, a very broad or wide scene, whatever. I don't know the technical terms, but... Um, yeah, I, the, the only times you really got, um, you know, pieces of the world was when they showed shots of everyone, you know, falling asleep. Um, there were a few of those moments. And you got little little pieces of like oh the diner and uh, the movie theater that that uh, it it had it had an actual movie playing. Uh, I looked it up because I wanted to make sure the movie's called The Evil. It's a it's a horror movie from the late seventies. It didn't seem to have too much in the as far as plot goes connecting to this movie besides there being a darkness within this these people's home. But that's pretty much a horror movie, so I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if the space vampires were actually playing that movie in there, or if it was just like a, oh, we already had our last showing for today. The next one's tomorrow, <laughs> and then everybody gets reset every night. So, oh, it, it oh, so does they beg never the question, actually have the movie. That's neat. Yeah. It it does it does beg the question of when the hell they were at, because well, they they said that right. Yeah, it was like a mishmash of everybody's memories just cramming together and creating this weird in the middle time zone. Right. He was, but pretty much the whole, the whole world seemed to be consistently like, uh, late forties, fifties kind of a feel to me. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and, but they were saying that like they took multiple decades and just smashed it all together. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think of it from like a, the people abducted were being abducted in the late nineties, then a lot of the memories would probably come together in some weird like 60s amalgamation kind of thing. That's true. That's a good point. So guys, I don't want to interject, but I think Jason's going to blow the roof off the place. 
I actually just told Miller that very same thing in the room that Miller and I sit currently. So here's wearing the thing, cowboy fellas. Hats. We are wearing cowboy hats. So <laughs> truthfully, I got to be honest with you guys. I have always heard that this film was one kind of for the ages, was one that needed to be seen, needed to be discussed. I purchased it. Again, similar to kind of what we've discussed this last month with uh, Akira and Ghost in a Shell, like... The film sat on my media stand for five years now. I bought the Blu-ray at Disc Replay five years ago. There it sat, never found the time to watch it, but always was kind of aware of the cultural kind of legacy this had and the influence it had. And I watched it last night, so we're at Tuesday. Um, This is Apocalypse Day plus one, so I think we're one day into the apocalypse now. Um, we don't keep time anymore as far as like the normal like Roman calendar. Um, but <laughs> basically, I watched it yesterday and I kicked myself in the fucking head for not watching this movie 10 years ago, <laughs> 15 years ago. This literally on one viewing, this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm serious. Like to me. Wow. It, it really resonated with me, fellas. Like seriously, I just feel like. This is one of those films that just exudes atmosphere. It just it it it's a sponge, you know. I mean, you 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 anytime you you kind of like squeeze it, you've got just atmosphere for days, story for days. It, it's it's palpable, you know. It, it's it's thick with it, and I feel like films like that don't really come along too often. Um, I I guess I could compare it to maybe movies I've seen. I think probably an obvious comparison would be like Matrix. But, like, even looking back, you know, I mean, I would put Dark City on, like, a Blade Runner alien tier. Like, it, it, it is one of those very rare, like, visionary events where this was a combination of the creatives, the creators involved having a set kind of vision or uh, an idea that they really wanted to get across. And I, I feel like the execution was there. They really kind of were able to, I don't know, they, they were able to pull it off. You know, it's it's a type of film that really requires a certain strength and vision. You have to know what you want to say. And if you don't know what you want to say, and if you don't have that kind of strength and conviction of what you want to say, you're not going to be able to pull it off. But I feel like for whatever reason, the you know director screenwriter I think uh, Alex Proyas had a huge hand in all of kind of the creative vision of this film, but it really nailed it. Um, and I was engrossed. I mean, I I started the film last night at like ten o'clock, and I, you know I get up really early, so I figured, oh yeah, I'll watch half of it, glued to the damn screen. So I mean, there's a ton I want to talk about, but truthfully, guys, this is one where th- this really shook me. I think this is really. One of those where I knew it was a big deal for a really long time. I never gave it its due, and I was kicking myself for that last night. That's great to hear. Like, like I said, this is a a, a top sci-fi movie, probably even a top movie for me, just in general. So <laughs> glad to see I was validated. Well, I think all of your picks so far have been great to watch Miller so I think yeah, you've been thank you I appreciate just that extending that validation yeah uh, well done so far with all your picks and I know what you have coming next so I'm actually really excited yeah that one I think is kind of a, a general like I think that's going to be a pretty generally liked and well-received uh movie all right I really quickly want to talk about Jennifer Connelly mm. and how who doesn't want to talk about Jennifer Connelly that's I, honestly that's the feel that I kind of want to talk about how they brought Jennifer Connelly into this picture and it almost felt like they validated every like weird adolescent, like pining towards her. (laughs) They just like took that and somehow condensed it into a movie that I'm watching this and I'm like, Holy shit. So if young Matt had seen this, his head would have exploded. So every, so I'm 10 years old. So everybody had that experience that. in their childhood with Jennifer Connelly. It wasn't yeah. just me. Okay, good. I'm 10 I mean, years yeah. old. I'm okay, watching yeah. the labyrinth and I don't understand so, these feelings for this to girl. In a you listeners, if you're uncomfortable, just know that I'm sitting next to him. <laughs> but that's it. Is it was somehow it felt like they understood that weird, like zeitgeist of her mm-hmm. and condensed it into this character that 
met every aspect you wanted. Like she was standing in like a smoky jazz bar. Yeah, this she was, was like she was the cabaret singer. <laughs> the weird sorry. The weird moment that I had when I kind of I didn't fall in love with Jennifer Connelly, but I damn near um, was uh, was a uh, uh, Requiem for a Dream, which is a very weird thing to do. Oh, that's a very hard movie to watch. <laughs> that's a hard, <laughs> very, but she very... does such a good job in that movie. Exactly, exactly. Seriously, that's a, that's what I love about her is that she's such a fantastic actor. On top of it, you know, it's like she, her, the way she emotes is amazing. I'm not. I'm actually really surprised. I haven't. Have I seen her in anything lately? I feel like I haven't. I don't know. Alita. Alita. Oh, yes, yes, yes. She was an Alita. Yes. But I feel like she really should be in every single movie, but she's not, so. Yeah. All right. Sorry to derail that, but I just needed to bring that up because that was on my mind for a chunk of the movie. No, I needed to get that out. Thank you. <clears throat> so, for me, I um, I don't have quite as a, a profound viewing as you did, Jason. I definitely enjoyed the movie, and you're not kidding it the movie, you know, eats, sleeps, and breathes atmosphere. Uh, <clears throat> but the ending kind of felt weirdly rushed for me. I don't know if the director's cut would have changed that, but <clears throat> it felt like they, as much as there wasn't a world to live in, they kind of just, like, spent a lot of time giving you this sense of dread and, like, oh, he's all alone, even though he's surrounded by people and what's real and what isn't and is what's happening to him real and like they spend all this time developing these feelings and then it's just like boom he's got powers he's fighting them and now he's shaping the world and it's over well it it felt like it kind of sucked the breath out of the end of the movie for me i i think i mean the reason that for me the film worked as well as it did is it really functions as like an inversion of kind of like the 40s noir thing like you have those archetypical characters but they don't quite fulfill the roles that you know you typically would see them fulfill in like a 40s like straight noir like you know William Hurt's character for example you know he would be the the hero really and like in a way he was ultimately but like the way that a lot of these characters were kind of inverted in service of the story I thought was great Um, so to me it kind of kept you guessing because it's certainly the first half of the film, it really starts out as kind of like, a, you know, an old school noir. You know, I mean, the film's shot in color, but it might as well be black and white. I mean, the way that the cinematography was done, the way like the color palette was done, it's very dark. I mean, as you know, you would think it would be. But like generally, I don't know. I feel like that's really the first half of the film. The second half of the film you start kind of getting into more the philosophical angle of it. You get kind of more into the science fiction angle of it. Because truthfully, same thing. I've owned the movie for five, six years. I've known of it for probably 20. But before I actually saw that scene where, you know, they break through Shell Beach and you realize, oh, shit, it's a giant, you know, spaceship, basically. And they're running these experiments and, you know, the strangers are aliens, like, I really didn't know that for the last however long I've known of Dark City. I did not know it was an alien movie, ultimately. I just knew that it was kind of, you know, a very kind of noirish, dark sort of tale. You know, I, I didn't really know what the particulars were. So I feel like, I don't know, the way it was done, the way the build was done, and the way that it kind of subverted, I guess, your expectations within that genre or within, you know, that kind of the presumption that it was a genre film I thought worked really really well and in a lot of cases maybe you know you're you're not predisposed to think that that type of I don't know story would work well but I just think this is one of the rare cases where everything was perfect I thought the casting was perfect the cinematography was perfect I thought the directing was damn near perfect the music really fit in Um, I thought the story beats kind of hit where they needed to so I mean I, I definitely like I'm I'm down to break it down specifically, but I just thought on the whole like I keep coming back to that word visionary, but that's really what this was like. You really don't see that that often. Like even for as many films as we've seen in the last decade that have been, I guess you know, kind of like they've moved the needle forward as far as science fiction goes or even film goes. 
like, you know, Interstellar, you know, take movies like that where it's really like, whoa, you know, this really took kind of a concerted effort of someone's mind to really kind of push the medium forward. Like Dark City came out, you know, 20 plus years ago at this point. It really like to think that that existed in Alex Proyas's mind, you know, he came up with that. He came up with the set direction that was all, you know, it was drawings. It was sets that were constructed. You know, that's the thing. None of that was on location. So they created all of those sets. Like, that just blows my mind. You know, this, there, the there's actually a detail. lot of crossover between sets that they did and Matrix sets. Yeah. Yeah. I've read that too. They were yeah, both they in like the Fox Sydney. Also, it's funny you mentioned that, Jason. Um, Christopher Nolan actually uh, points to this movie as one of his inspirations for Inception. Oh, yeah, I could see that for sure, absolutely. especially with the shifting absolutely. city and all of that. Yeah, 100%. He literally goes, it was Dark City, The Matrix, and then, like, that was, like, the next step, I guess, you know, was Inception, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the all that makes sense. Yeah, hugely influential Seeing movie, it visually in my head, yeah. Um, I, th- I think the mix of effects is really well done, too. The CGI is used in a way that's already kind of... Um, you know, very unnatural looking shapes being born out of their, you know, will or whatever you want to call it. Um, so the CGI kind of, it didn't look abnormal because it already was abnormal. Uh, and then it seemed like there was a lot of model use too, which I thought was nice. I always like seeing that. Yeah, I was going to ask, the, 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 there are significant numbers of models, right? Like on your... I mean, they would have to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Especially the, the hotel in particular really looked like a model to me. Gotcha. Yeah. I was well, getting- so interestingly enough, a lot of what I read on this, because of course I did my normal thing, you know, basically I watch a film and the first thing I do is I go to Wikipedia and I kind of do like a plot refresh just to make sure, you know, the plot was as I perceived it. And then the next thing I do is go to IMDb and I look at like trivia and, you know, spoilers and all that kind of stuff to get the trivia behind it. And then I'll start getting into kind of deep analysis. But basically, they were trying to create an atmosphere of this being, you know, a very kind of expensive looking film on a shoestring budget. So like they did a lot of stuff where, you know, they would build frames and then they would like cover it in like uh, like burlap or, you know, they, they would use different materials to kind of, um, I guess, simulate like steel or simulate, you know, brick or whatever. But they weren't really spending a lot of money on the production design. They were kind of faking it, you know, like the whole uh, you see a few scenes where there's like that kind of like subterranean like elevator Uh, system or whatever like that was they built one and they built one set of tracks and then they just kind of got creative with you know the rooms that they passed through and all that type of stuff so uh, just kind of really like creative interesting take on like okay how do we make this look more involved than it actually is and I like they pulled it off like holy shit you know I didn't even think of any of that until I read it after I watched the movie Um, I actually just want to talk about uh, Alex Preya's um, style real quick. I mean, we go mid nineties, we got the crow and then you go to, uh, dark city. Yeah. I can kind of see the aesthetic there. There's something similar going on. And then you go six years in the future and you get fucking iRobot. He did. I, I think robot? it was a budget switch. He yeah. He fucking no did. IRobot. And I there's also like a hundred million that. more dollars on that budget. I mean that I can kind of see it now. It's it's they go for a more like clean, clean future tech in a dirty New York. So, so if I, I if I remember correctly here, so and I think that's worth noting too. So Alex Proyas did The Crow, Dark City, then he did um, I Robot, he did Knowing, and then he did Gods of Egypt. So it, it, it's it's kind of shocking because I feel like you look at his 90s output and, you know, like The Crow, obviously that would be nothing we would ever really discuss here. But no, but it's just, one of my other favorite movies. Well, just as far as, like, visually, like, it's a very, you know, same thing. Again, that's my word of the night, trademark, like, very visionary sort of film. Like, you know, the look of it, the, the aesthetic of it, it kind of set the tone and it set 
kind of a new precedent for you know production design and and just the fact that a lot of it was practical a lot of it was you know there were sets it wasn't on location they built that you know that was something that existed they did the same with dark city but then it kind of as you went on you know i robot a lot of that was you know digital a lot of that was cgi um the the film i guess he's you know the the latest film he put out that gods of egypt was universally panned. I mean, I didn't watch it personally, so I can't really, you know, give my opinion on it, but I heard nothing but negative things, and I, I heard it was just kind of one of those CGI spectacle films um, in a bad way, and it's kind of unfortunate knowing where he came from. I mean, given that he was such kind of a visual auteur when it came to this kind of 90s output that he had, like, it's kind of a bummer because obviously dude could do a lot of really cool things given that kind of, you know, and realistically, it was a limited palette, too. It's not like they gave him $500 million to make some masterwork. It was, what, a $40 million film. Well, I and wonder. It looks like a million well, bucks well, yeah, 20 it's years later. Insane. It's a $20 million it's a twenty. Film. It looks like $20 million bucks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> you just said really it looks like a million bucks. No, I'm wondering, like, to what level of uh, creative control the studios have sort of sort of rested away from him? Because, I mean, it's not his script. Um, the Crow is based off of the graphic novel by uh, James Obar, but Obar worked directly with Proyas on this movie. You know, this has got to be a passion project for Proyas. Then he goes to directing his uh, directing and writing his own movie, um, and it's it it's you know it's brilliant. It's breathtaking. It really. Um, I really love it. I, I, yeah, I mean, you saying that he directed iRobot, I can definitely see that it still has his mark on it. You know, it's still kind of, you know, it's the, the future, you know, for as clean as it is, there's, I mean, Will Smith is living, living in the grit, you know, he's, he's, it's still got that grittiness to it. And then I never, I've never seen Knowing, I haven't seen Gods of Egypt, but I just wonder if it's, I'm just wondering if it's not more studio meddling, you know what I mean? I actually wouldn't mind to see kind of where he is now if he were to write something and direct it. Because he hasn't... That was the last thing... Well, uh, Garage Days, which I haven't seen either. That was the last thing that he's written and directed uh, for a film. But That's I wouldn't familiar. mind seeing where he's at now. And honestly, I I feel like we're kind of glancing over... There's always that studio competition where one studio finds out about the movie the other one's putting out and tries to replicate some weird amalgamation of it. And of course, I'm talking about Truman Show. <laughs> Truman Show came out the same year. <laughs> That's weird. And I couldn't help but Yeah, I couldn't help but think about Truman Show the whole time I was watching this with like the like hard boundaries of the world and <laughs> I you know, that's a that's a parallel I did not know was 100% there. It's so weird. Yeah, it's a very sinister Truman show if you think about it. Yeah. 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 Incredibly well, sinister. obviously there's a the biggest difference is the one man versus all of them not knowing. Oh, that's but, true. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Either. The fact that they came out the same year because I immediately when I finished the movie started looking into Truman show and was like I wonder if there was some weird like one helped like build the thought process for the other because I just couldn't help but stop thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I yeah, as I'm staring at a GIF that Colin posted of Jim Carrey, <laughs> you said that I'm like, wow, that's that's weird. Kismet. I um, <laughs> I was gonna ask. So I wanted to talk about more of the elements of the film. So like the in the uh, antagonist, um, Riff Raff from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they they're a bunch of. I, did I get this right? They're a bunch of corpses with aliens living in their heads, basically. That's right. Yep. Yeah. 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 They use the dead body. That's, got it. That's yeah. the crux of the thing. Yeah. So I mean, that's and uh, and so I don't know. As antagonists, they seemed. I like my antagonists complicated, so it always seemed like very simplistic. In a lot of ways, mm -hmm. I mean, did anybody else get that feeling? I mean, I know they are a collective sure. essentially, so it's like, yeah, they would all be the same thing. But I don't know. I don't know. If, uh, Jason visibly snorted when you said that. <laughs> Why? Why? Oh uh, no, Bill, Bill, I don't want to fight because most of the time, Bill and I are like one more. We're one human. Mm -hmm. We're one soul intertwined. You are a high body. Yeah, just like so, the villains from this movie. No, but I, oh. I don't know. Like, truthfully, I... Are you calling them uncomplicated? 
No, I, I think the villains were complicated because I think, you know, a lot of kind of what goes to the point of this film are that, you know, you really, until the second act of the movie or like later on in the movie, you don't realize that they're aliens. You know, at least I didn't. Like I they said, I've known of this beginning. film for years. It's part of the prologue. Well, okay, so sorry. Uh, no, Jason watched the director's sorry, cut. Sorry, boys. Right? I watch a director's cut, much director's like the Blade cut, Runner director's <laughs> cut. They don't. They don't fool you with any like obvious bullshit, so oh. you don't know that See, that happens. No, 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 Jason. I didn't know that about the director's cut, but I freaking love it because I loved that about Blade Runner. I tried to go back and watch Blade Runner, and then I realized I had the original the- theatrical version, and I just could not do it. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I didn't do it on purpose, That's... fellas, but after the fact, I realized I watched the director's cut, so I purposely went through and I like looked at all the differences because I wanted to be sure I was prepared when we talked about it because I didn't want to say like, oh, well, this was great and you know, blah, 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 but that's one of the key things. you know, In the director's cut, which is seen to be kind of like the definitive version of this, there is no monologuing. There's no, you know, we're going to bludgeon you over the head with this, you know, oh, the, and then there were the strangers. Yeah, there was nothing like that. It was very vague. So truthfully, I did not know until the later acts of the film that the strangers were extraterrestrials like that wasn't communicated. It was very vague, That's few- which, which I thought was great. You know, it kind of changed my viewing of the film. But well, damn, that that, that, that changes was, the whole film. That literally, well, yeah, that's huge. Really I'm like frustrated. Like, with I'm actually this now. really frustrated I wish that, that I didn't just go version. with the director's cut. Actually, well, no, yeah, no. we almost did, but we own the regular on DVD, so we just said go with that. God damn it, Jason. You're but good. anyway, but okay, so look at it from my perspective. So you've watched the definitive version as your first version, like me. Um. So you somehow can have this kind of like this, uh, you know, th- this this stronger, um, I guess, uh, you know, you can have this stronger viewpoint towards the film because, you know, you've seen it in this way, like I guess I did. And I don't mean that in a shitty way. But, like, to me, I thought the villains were, were more complex because – you know, kind of like what we see in a lot of media, like the villains have the best intentions, right? So their intention is they're a dying breed. They're trying to save themselves and they're trying to learn from this other culture, this other species um, in their own way. You know, they're doing this experimentation. It's kind of dark, whatever, but they're trying to learn and they're trying to take the best aspects of this culture, of this species and kind of assimilate it into their own thing in order to hopefully survive, right? But they're doing it in a way where they're they're really doomed from the onset because they're not doing it in the right way. I think, you know, you have uh, John Murdoch, you know, our main character, says at the end, you were looking in the wrong place. You, It's not the mind. It's not your memories. You know, it's not your social mores. It's your heart. And as simple of a message as that is, I feel like, wow, you know, it's it's really deep. And even in kind of today's world, our, you know, modern apocalyptic society that we're living in, like, it resonates. Yeah. You can't simply look at it as a mental exercise. You know, there's something else that exists there. I feel like that's kind of the relationship between, you know, John and... Uh, I forget what her name was initially, but Anna at the uh-huh. end, you yeah. know, him him and the wife, like, uh, that's kind of what they're getting at, is that there's something that exists that's beyond simply, like, our memories or our experiences. There's, you know, it, it kind of gets to the heart of, like, a soul, I guess. So, like, regardless of what your beliefs are on that, I feel like that's kind of, like, the true, like, thesis of the film. All right. And that's to me why I'll, that really uh, resonated. All right. I do I do find it really interesting though that he quickly becomes the most compelling villain out of them all. I mean, I guess they're a, they're a hive mind, so I don't know if he's cut off from the hive mind when he takes those memories on to avoid um uh you know, disrupting all of them. But he becomes much more emotional and interesting after that as compared to the rest of them. I so even like though they're it's... kind of like pushing that the memories aren't what makes us. We have like an innate sense of self. 
he becomes much more compelling as a villain when he actually has memories and emotions. This is this is a very interesting thing that you guys are talking about because the more I think about it, the more I think about dualism and monism. Just kidding. Um, but uh, no, the more I think about it, the more <laughs> I, I thi- fucking hate you so much. <laughs> but now let's let's talk about Descartes. Uh, but no, I I was gonna ask. So a lot of it, like at the end, right? Let's go to the very end when it's him and uh, Anna, or it was Emma before Anna now. Um, like they find each other again, right? So John kind of forced it, but I feel like there's still that innate kind of resonance between them. You know, even though she does ha- have different memories, at the very end, they still she still finds this connection with him, which kind of indicates that there is something outside of her you know, basic physical, I'm not going to say physical, but chemical memories, you know? So it's like, I, I don't know. That's, that seems very interesting to me, but it also inherently um, kind of indicates dualism. <laughs> I completely agree with you, Bill, because he didn't get his full memories. So he didn't really know who she was, but he still, before he was injected with the full memories, was being protective of an aspect i did not realize i didn't realize thank you (laughs) duh because that was something i had thought about too because i literally like i made a joke the second i finished watching it with mark and colin about how they injected this man with memories of being in a relationship with jennifer connelly and then her cheating on you and that just broke his brain and made him jump out of the system yeah, I would I would die too if my if Jennifer Connelly uh, <laughs> cheated on me. Shit. So anyway, <laughs> I want to talk about a funny moment with I think it's uh, Mr. Book and uh, and John. Uh, it's very interesting. The part where <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody else thought this was kind of corny. The psychic duel, like it was just like it just made me think. Oh, it was ridiculous. Bill, I'm disowning you right now. Okay, that's fine. Peter Jackson said that was the inspiration for the battle between Gandalf and Saruman. Are you serious? Seriously, I would not be surprised if that were true. So. If if I had to pick, like, a, I guess a flaw or maybe something that I wasn't kind of, like, fully on board with, with Dark City, it would be, like, not necessarily the idea of, like, the tuning or the, you know, like, uh, psychokinesis or whatever, because, like, I think that's really integral to the story. I think the effects weren't quite where they needed to be to really sell that, but... In this case, everything else was done so well, I couldn't really hold that against the film as a whole. Like, when those scenes came in, like, there's that part of me that wanted to be like, oh, man, that's kind of fucking cheesy. But then there was that other part of me that was like, you know what? This is done so well that I can't really, like, I can't really fault it or I can't really hold it against the film as, like, a negative or, like, it wouldn't be anything that would, like, take you know, a, a grade away from it. I wouldn't say like it was an A minus or like a B plus because the psychokinesis battles or whatever. Well, well, like, okay, Jason Son, was it Jason Son for the t- Jason Son? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take me back, okay, Daddy, because like I feel like I understand where you're coming from, and I was making goofs. I just thought it was a funny thing that I noticed, <laughs> and I thought it was goofy. That's all. I like. I I actually really really enjoyed this film, and I I thought that Awakening was badass. And well, to be fair, I was taking a pee pee, and mm. I came back, and I heard you talking about that, and I felt like I needed to set the record straight. I just wanted to put <laughs> you in your fucking place, Bill. But no, I was I was gonna um. I the thing is, I just wanted to take Bill out I back and put two in him. <laughs> Tell me we're about this. To be fair, we're wearing cowboy hats, Bill. Yeah. So anything goes. I know where you live. Tell me, tell it ain't it ain't too far, brother. I'll ride my horse right over to your house. Tell me about the psychokinesis, Billy. Um, but uh, I was gonna what I was gonna say was I've seen this movie. I feel like I've seen bits and parts of this movie pretty much my whole life. Like I never really 
understood what the whole movie was about until I saw it. Until I forced myself to watch it last night. Um, and then I really was just like, this is so weird. And I got to go to bed. And then I continued to watch it the next day. And I di- digested it a little bit. And I was just like, this is wild. And I think part of it was that there was no real suspense on my part. Because I knew what happened. I've seen the ending before. And so like having that in my mind, it kind of is difficult. And I really wish I didn't have that in my mind. Like having that monologue kind of ruined some of the suspense and then also having you know seen these bits and parts and kind of spoiled this movie for my entire life kind of ruined it as well i really wish i could have been like you jason and like just sat down and consumed all of this and just been like whoa you know because that would well, be amazing and that's a thing bill too like it, it's really a bummer to me that like and I mean, guys, it could go back to a lot of films that we, you know, have discussed and kind of movies we've talked about wanting to discuss on the podcast. Like, I watched the director's cut as the first version of Dark City that I played through. So I did not watch the theatrical cut. I did not, you know, watch the Blade Runner, you know, first take studio cut from, you know, 1981 or whatever. Like, I watched the director's cut, the definitive version, like as my first version. So like to me, Dark City is the director's cut. So it's interesting to me, and I guess that's kind of like cheating a little bit, and I'm sorry, you know, that was just the version that I I chose, I guess, or that I watched last night, but like I feel bad. Darkest City. Well, I feel bad that like we didn't watch the same movie, but to me, like the the fact that like you you lose the hand-holding and you gain – kind of this other, I guess, like perception of events, like it really adds a lot to the film. And I mean, maybe, you know, Miller, I don't know if he's seen both versions, maybe he can kind of add in. But like to me, that is the definitive version of the movie. It's a lot more subtle. And I feel like it's it, there's a lot more room for interpretation there because it's not bludging you over the head with, you know, this is what's going on. I'm Kiefer Sutherland. This is what's going on. I'm Kiefer Sutherland. No, it's it's a hundred percent true. You're right. Um, those those ten extra minutes in the director's cut do a lot to uh to the benefit of this movie. Which which is funny because I think in the group earlier in the week you said uh, yesterday ah, it's just ten minutes. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and I was like, that's that's a, what that's ten percent of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was a bad call. Um. I kind of, you know, I, I I got this on demand. I don't actually. I do own the director's cut on DVD, but I was not uh, at home uh, when I watched this last night. Ooh. So um, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I was up. I was. Uh, yeah, it I was, was at the local speedway. I was at. I was watching Dark City. In the bathroom. <laughs> Dark City and trying, you know, to uh, keep my girlfriend awake long enough to finish watching Dark City with me. Um, Ooh. But it was um Shots fired. <laughs> she would listen to this podcast. This is the Patreon exclusive uh uh me retelling my evening last night. Um Rated R. Uh yeah, for our <laughs> Revitarchi. Hey babe, wanna sit in this room and listen to a podcast with me? It's my I podcast. I made two hot pockets. You listen to the points I made. I love listening to my own voice. Let's listen to my voice. I just it's that fucking Hannibal Burris joke about Kanye vibing out to his own shit. Um, no, but I, I, I mean, I, I kind of just, I was like, whatever, just go, go with whatever version is easiest for people. You know, you guys had the um, standard version. I wasn't going to make anybody repurchase the movie or re-rent the movie. Um. But I would definitely encourage you. I mean, now that you've seen it and you can kind of see what the hype is all about, go check out the extended cut. I mean, it's subtle, guys, truthfully. I mean, based on kind of like the differences I read up on. But at the same time, I I feel like it's a difference between kind of what we've been talking about. Like, if you've seen the film on, you know, broadcast TV or you, you know, just kind of remember bits and pieces of it, I guess, over the years, just because, you know, it's been out for 22 years at this point. Like, it's one thing to then watch the director's cut. But for me, I was kind of in this really kind of unique position because I was approaching it with a certain purity. Like, I was aware of the film, but I wasn't aware of the story. So it wasn't really spoiled for me when I watched it yesterday. So like watching the director's cut, 
for me was kind of it, it was great because I don't know I felt like I saw the definitive version of kind of what Alex Proyas and all the other you know creatives on the team were really trying to like tell or like the story they were trying to tell and to me that that was so I'm not saying like Dark City as it was seen in theaters in 1998 is like a top 10 sci-fi movie for me but I will sure as shit say that the director's cut as I watched it yesterday you know was a great sci-fi viewing experience in a way I haven't really had in quite a while and I will say not having the they are from outer space kind of beginning it definitely changed the way i viewed it but they were very much brought in as like a supernatural kind of being so i don't think the way we viewed it was that different except for like i was thinking oh it's somebody who came to earth and like cordoned off an area and has been making changes Whereas, I guess I have no clue how you actually viewed it. Them blasting through the wall was still like a pretty whoa moment. But um, I think if I hadn't, if they hadn't really talked about them being aliens before, even if you kind of thought that, that would have been a cool, like, that would have been a cooler moment. Yeah, I would have enjoyed having that extra little surprise. So so I have kind of interesting one for you guys, because this was kind of part of the trivia I looked up. So... If you asked Alex Proyas his interpretation of what the Dark City was, Alex Proyas would tell you that it was, you know, an alien kind of collective ship or whatever that abducted members of like a colonist ship. So like, you know, we're we're now a spacefaring race. We're going from point A to point B. These aliens abducted members of this ship this like generation ship if we want to go back to like our uh you know like expanse sort of idea so that's what proyas would say that's kind of what formed the dark city or what kind of led to that experiment or the experimentation that the strangers were conducting in order to find like the essence of the human soul if you ask david s goyer who is one of the writers um and producers of the film his idea was kind of more that it was actually almost kind of like an afterlife. So all these folks were dead and basically this was kind of like their purgatory and that, you know, it was more kind of like a a supernatural sort of take on it. Um, And I don't know, I thought that was kind of interesting to look at, you know, you've got these two individuals that were very heavily involved in kind of like ultimately where the film went and they've got these radically different kind of takes you got one guy who's kind of taking more of the traditional sci-fi view um very you know sci-fi view on where i guess the story kind of went or or what the movie's actually about and then you've got kind of this more supernatural kind of uh you know pie in the sky sort of view of where the movie went so i was kind of curious what you guys thought of that in terms of just interpretation because you can go two very very different divergent ways with uh, those two paths i guess well, with I, this film. Oh. well i was gonna say i actually like goyer's uh, interpretation of it a lot and i think there's plenty of evidence uh, throughout the movie to suggest that he's right or at least that his view is valid but I also uh, really respect uh, uh, the directors as well in that point. So, Mark? Yeah. I There was one moment in particular that really stood out to me. Because, you know, they're all they're all falling down and things like that. So you you have the thought of, oh, they, I wonder if they're hurting themselves or what happens. Like, is there just a, lo- a rate of loss that they accept with those moments? Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> when the couple collapses at the dinner table and their faces both go in the soup bowls. Um, I wondered about that. Like, are they dead? Did they, but they seem totally fine. Like no ill effects afterward. Did that freeze time? Well, if it froze time, they wouldn't have fallen. Right. So they can breathe soup, Mark. (laughs) I just, uh, I just wondered like, were they, were they keeping them alive at the same time? But then no, if we're talking about it as like an afterlife kind of thing, they're stuck there spiritually more than physically. So I thought, 
so th there's a very interesting allegorical view that I found on Wikipedia uh, in the analysis section where it was uh, Gerard Laughlin made this uh, interpretation towards uh, Plato's allegory of the cave, which if you don't know mm. that, really quick and dirty, it's basically a man. Go there, Bill. Uh, mm -mm. Okay, so a little bit. Uh, so a man's chained up to a wall. Um, the only things he sees are the shadows on the walls, which is being cast by a fire in a cave. And so anything he sees moving around is actually just a two-dimensional shadow on the wall, and he experiences his entire life like that. And then he gets out of the cave and he sees everything as it is. So you know, like his entire interpretation of the world is formed by this, you know, sort of only seeing the shadows on the wall. So anyway, so the thing that they were saying was that for uh, for him, the the city dwellers are the prisoners that don't realize they're in a prison, with like the person chained to the wall, um, and uh, and John Murdoch uh, represents the person escaping the cave and realizing that there are three dimensions or that there are, you know, forms and, and people and depth, you know? And so, um, so anyway, so this is, uh, so, so it's like the mechanisms of the cave that are explained within this allegory are kind of the mechanisms that make this world work, right? Which is like the tuning and the, um, the, you know, underneath of the city that, you know, makes the buildings move around. And so there's this entire bottom side of this city that people don't realize is there. And so that's kind of like the extra dimension that people don't realize. And, um, and I thought that was a really interesting parallel to the allegory that, that the you know this world kind of represents that and then the people within the city represent somebody being chained so it's kind of a, a prison for them which is obvious in a lot of ways but when you take this sort of interpretation of reality side of things i think it like adds another dimension to it i thought it was really interesting or something i don't know no i'm I see what you're saying because we're, I feel like viewing this from the outside already. So it seems like a work of fiction from the start. Mm -hmm. And then when they're on a spaceship, it's like, whoa, that was a twist. But I didn't, mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of the lives that these people have been living and how much of a shock that is to them in the, you know, them all living in their like fifties world or whatever. That's, that's kind of huge. Yeah, that's why I, I'm not really sure I like the idea of them being spacefaring people already because mm -hmm. I feel like that takes a bit of that uh, the, like levity of the situation away. I kind of like how much of a shock it is, like uh, how big of a world shift that is, you know? I really, really wish, like like we're talking about the director's cut missing out, whatever, but I really, really wish that... The definitive like, edition, sorry. The uh, uh, definitive edition. Um, but... Um, I really, really wish that they would have told us less. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird to think that. Like, I really, really wish I was taught less. Um, so that when, you know, like I said, like, escaping the cave was really more mind-blowing to me. You know, it would be very, very cool to have that. I don't know. Well, Bill, to your point, I think probably one of the missed opportunities or at least another interpretation you could have taken with the film so when they break through that outer wall that I guess kind of re is represented by like uh, Shell Beach or whatever, mm -hmm. all of a sudden they start doing these like really wide kind of like pan out shots and you see the dark city and you see, you know, the kind of undercity and like the, the machinery that kind of dictates how they're able to, you know, manipulate kind of time and space, whatever, like you, you, you see it from afar and then, like, especially when uh, our character John kind of starts uh, realizing his place in things and manipulating things, you see, like, you know, the 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 purge of the water, and he kind of starts, like, creating, you know, his own reality, or he starts kind of, like, you know, uh, changing things. And I feel like that was a bit of a missed opportunity, because I feel like if you would have just breached that wall, and when you breach the wall, you see, you know, space, and you see stars, and you see this just kind of unfathomable darkness like that would have been great if you just left it there but then I feel like you almost lost something when you kind of saw the city as it was um, I feel like that was almost kind of showing too much so if I had to criticize it I think like 
if you just kind of if you left it at that, if you left it at that kind of void, I feel like that almost kind of like sells like the cosmic horror elements of it. Like, whoa, what the fuck's going on? You know, that would have been kind of like a, you know, blow your mind sort of scene. But they kind of like they took it and they expanded upon it and they ran with it. And then by the end of the film, I feel like that it, you you weren't so out of place. But to me, I know not really knowing where the film was going at that point, that was really disorienting for me. And I thought that was a really cool scene. Um, I don't think I would have given away quite as much um, as they did, even in like the director's cut. But that was, I guess, kind of like a, you know, a post-criticism that I could lay to it. You know, that makes sense. until you just said it, I hadn't really processed that shell beach was like the shell of the whole ship. Because obviously there's like the shells on the beach. So that's the where my brain went. I hadn't really thought about that. I don't know if there's anything there, actually, but I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I, I hadn't like processed that until you said it and I heard it from you. <laughs> no, I'm purposefully putting in silence. Don't worry. That's good. <laughs> Bill, you asshole. <clears throat> All right, guys. Um... Does anybody else anybody else have anything they want to add, or can I go into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi at this point? Let's do it. Let's okay. roll. So I'm going to go in the order that we actually introduced ourselves. Um, I'm going to go first, and then I'm going to actually say, uh, Ben, who couldn't be here today, actually uh, sent to me what he wants to say, at least in, just in terms of good or bad. So I think this was great sci-fi. Um Man, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from anybody, but yeah, it definitely asked a lot of questions. Um, no, I'm just kidding, Bill. Um, I mean, overall, I mean, I always have my little standard for does it ask what it means to be human or make us think about what it means to be human. In this case, it, it kind of did with that whole soul thing. I mean, the point of the movie was they want to know what it means to be human. That's what the aliens are trying to figure out so they could survive. But uh, overall, I, I think it was great sci-fi. Ben, all he did send to me was that this was great sci-fi. Let Andrew know. So, Andrew, there you go. Now you know. Ben loved it. Yeah, I saw that in the group chat. All right. Um, Thank you, Ben. Going over to Mark. I'd say good sci-fi, entertaining movie. Um, I definitely would like to see what the director's cut has to offer because you know i didn't have quite as profound of a viewing as jason did and i'd like to think that that's in part what's what it's due to but i guess we'll see all right jason yeah guys i think you know where i stand i mean you know obviously i i'm kind of of the mind that like you know we're only going to get a few films per generation that are kind of like that you know real well, for lack of a better term, kind of the like generational sci-fi, you know, I think we look to like the late 90s, you know, we had Dark City, we had The Matrix. I think those are the two films that really were, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, the, the stepping stone for where we would get in the 2000s, kind of where we've gotten today. So I, I think now looking back, having kind of known the legacy of this film and having finally watched it, I get it now. This is totally another kind of iteration of where sci-fi was going. A lot of ideas. It grappled with a lot of, I think, real heady kind of concepts. Apart from that, though, if we remove the science fiction angle and we remove kind of all that stuff that we normally talk about, just a really good fucking movie. It was just really done well. This, you know, as a film, it was it was perfect. The acting was great. The casting was perfect. The cinematography was perfect. The directing, I thought, was phenomenal. Great film. I loved how it grappled with kind of a lot of the the ideas that we grapple with on a weekly basis. Um, I get it. I, I really do, and I think that's the the best thing I can probably say of the movie. So great sci-fi. Love beep, it. Beep 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 beep. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, sorry. Uh, you came uh, in just under time. <laughs> Matthew. 
Oh, yeah, thanks, Colin. I, I wanted to make sure that I uh, got in under the time. <laughs> <laughs> Eat my asshole. Oh. Eat my ass. <laughs> Man, you, you really liked that movie quite a lot. I loved it, guys. I'm serious. You know, I, I told Miller when I came oh, in yeah. before we started recording, th- this is now probably in one of my top, you know, t- uh, maybe top 10 if I could define it, but I really, really love That's awesome. This movie. I love hearing I really that. Did. Yeah. All right, Matthew. All right. I would definitely say good sci-fi. And I kind of want to reach back to a random little moment that made me kind of love this movie, which was the the maze at the beginning. Not the beginning, but like early on when he goes to see the doctor, when John goes to see the doctor and... Oh, it wasn't John. No, it was Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Jennifer Connell John. <laughs> Jennifer. Jennifer Connelly is a thing now. All right, let's go. So, when Emma goes to see the doctor early on, and he has the maze, and it's laid out very similarly to how they show the city later, that was just one of those moments that when I saw the city the first time, it was a really solid callback and like a. It made me it made me happy, <laughs> but all in all, I'd say very solid sci-fi. All right, going over to Bill. All right, um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a really cool experience as a film, and then I thought it was interesting how it, you know, just uh, like you said, exploring what it means to be human. I thought that was really cool to do that as a film and you're right it's something i've noticed since you've brought it up is that every single time i watch a film and it kind of explores what it really means to be human not just like you know the effects we have on our environment or the effects we have on technology or effects we have on you know uh exploration in the universe but really what it comes down to is when we explore ourselves when we explore humanity and i thought that was really cool very well done and i really really enjoyed the film as well so i'd say uh, good sci-fi my man jason's giving you the middle finger <clears throat> the double middle finger what oh. why <laughs> yeah, i'll show you a picture later remotely remotely, remotely. all right going over to i'm giving you the quarantine but, middle finger bros last but certainly not least because this is his film that he picked Andrew hey. Charles Miller. Charles Give it to me. W.S. Miller. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I I mean, I kind of validated my own uh, opinion by choosing this movie, guys. This is uh, as good, if not better, than I remember it. Um, I really loved watching it again, and it was just kind of a blast from the past because I haven't seen it in, uh, in a number of years. And I'm glad that I got to um, share this with you guys. I'm glad that you... Uh, you know, the, 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 it's not over yet. Miller March Madness is not over yet, but I am glad that, uh, I got to share this with you. I'm glad I got to share all of these movies with you. Um, Jason, I'm glad you loved this movie as much as, uh, as you did. Um, I love this movie guys. It is, uh, it is trademark magnanimous, uh, magnanimous storytelling. It's, uh, it's excellent sci-fi, um, I had this kind of moment uh, last night talking to Rachel. I was like, is this movie sci-fi? Does this movie seem sci-fi enough to you? And then it was like, oh, yep. All right. Yeah. All right. I forgot how much, how, how deep it leans into it. So, um, yes. Incredible. Excellent sci-fi. Great choice. Me, as always. Good job, me. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. guys. For as much as it's my trademark, magnanimous sci-fi. Mm. Gotcha. Absolutely. Magnanimous squared, cubed quadrupled whatever comes after that i feel like i feel like you really adopted this film as like your sweet baby boy and i was making fun of it and you were like don't you don't you fucking <laughs> yeah. dare Get defensive. don't you dare he's actually gonna drag it out we've had enough enough things where we've been on the house. same page where I'll, I'll give you one where we're a little bit off well, just okay. a little bit it's not even that big of a deal we both thought it was good sci-fi so yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was magnanimous. Oh. You it was <laughs> Definitive. We'll, we'll fight about it when we're the quarantine. We'll make up. We'll meet definitive. each other at dawn. Pistols at dawn. I thought it was visionary. 
Bill, you're beautiful. Thank you for that. I love you. <laughs> All right. Uh, man. All right. There you have it, folks. That is our good sci-fi, bad sci-fi on Dark City. Um, real quick, does anyone have anything they want to plug? I would plug at something, but everything's been canceled. So, no, I have nothing to plug. Uh, I, I want to plug our, our show. Is that okay? Oh, that's perfectly fine, Bill. Okay, great. So, every Sunday after the situation that we are currently in every sunday from 5 p.m to 9 p.m we will be having a stream called once upon a tavern every sunday go to twitch.tv forward slash once upon a tavern with underscores between the words and uh watch us every sunday central time please watch us thank you bill um i think that's all we have tonight uh next week we are doing is it Contagion, I thought. Yeah, we're uh, rolling with this uh, whole coronavirus theme. (laughs) Because whatever we were going to got bumped. That's right. The Quiet Place got bumped. The Quiet Place Part 2. It ain't science fiction, boys. It's science fiction. Can we do it? So next week, look for our episode on Contagion. And I think the week after that, we're finishing up our Picard suite. So, Boys, can we do Outbreak instead of Contagion? No. I need more Dustin Hoffman in my life. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We can talk, to, Bill, sure talk to Ben about that. All right, folks, there you have it. Until next time. All right, you guys are all fired. <laughs> what did I do? What?